You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. And so today I find myself surrounded in this very unique garden setting. What a gift it is for the community. And I thank God that we're able to share this. And as I surround myself in this, I want to now invite you to join with me in surrounding ourselves in God's word. As Bob Curtis gets ready to read to us from this Gospel of John, I want to remind you that this story occurs right after Jesus is arrested. He's been taken away. Taken to where the disciples cannot see what's going on. And in this moment, we see Peter faced with a simple question. And we see what happens. May God bless us as we consider how Peter must have been feeling in this moment and what came from it. Bob. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out spoke to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bob. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you bless us as we come together now to hear this reflection on your word. And whatever distractions may be within us or around us, may your Holy Spirit Set them aside, that we can encounter what you need us to receive, and even more, that we might grow to be what you need us to become. As our faith deepens, our witness becomes more strong. We pray that you'll guide us in this moment. Use the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of our hearts and minds that they might take us where you need us to be. All to your glory in Christ's name. Amen. I still love books. A lot of the books that I get today, I put on my Kindle so that I can have them with me wherever I go. It makes it very convenient. But I like having a good book in my hand. I like the feel of it. I like being able to flip pages, to write in them. And Laura knows that. So every year at Christmas, she'll get me several books. And this is one of the books I received last Christmas. It is a story of Thomas Edison, as told by Edmund Morris. It's a very detailed biography of this great inventor. 
I was intrigued to read it because I love history. I like reading about well-known figures in the uh, in our history books. But I also have to admit that probably I'm drawn to it because I was raised in Michigan. And if you've been to Greenfield Village just once, right, you have some acknowledgement and some recognition and interest in Thomas Edison. And so I've enjoyed reading this book. And of course, I found out many things about Thomas Edison I did not know. I knew he invented the light bulb. I knew he had the phonograph and so on. But so many more inventions he made. So many ways in which his efforts really began to affect the economy and the culture of our country. I knew that, of course, like any inventor, he didn't get it right the first time. I just didn't realize how many times he got it wrong. I didn't know that Thomas Edison was a failure, for example, in school. As a boy, he was finally invited to leave school because his mind didn't fit the classroom. In fact, one of his teachers said of him, that boy is too stupid to learn anything. Well, he did go home, and his mom raised him, uh, taught him at home. And, of course, he self-taught until he finally got to the place where he could begin to thrive with his unique talents and abilities. And thrive he did. But even there, he experienced a fair amount of failure. In talking about the process of getting to creating a light bulb and all the things that didn't work before the one finally did, he said, I have not failed. I just found 10,000 ways this thing does not work. To be able to continue to pursue something after failing more than 10,000 times, that's unique. A failure is not unique to the human experience. All of us have failed, right? You can think of multiple moments in your life, some of them fairly mundane, like the first time you tried to ride a bike, or tie your shoes, to other places where you have failed, where I have failed. We all experience that. But there are different levels of failure, aren't there? Some are relatively small, like skin knees and shoelaces that go untied. Others, maybe even more traumatic. But what if your greatest failure was the thing that you would be remembered for the most for the rest of eternity? Peter knows that story, knows that experience. Now, for anyone who has some knowledge of the Bible, you begin to realize there, there are different stories about Peter. He's sort of a central figure, second only to Jesus in the New Testament. But it's that story of his denying Jesus three times that comes right to the surface when people would say, are asked, what can you tell me about Peter? He denied Jesus three times. Well, this is the chapter where it occurs. The chapter begins where Jesus is being arrested. And as folks come to arrest him, Jesus self-identifies. I am he. Come take me. I'm ready to go. He wants to enter into this moment as terrible as it's going to be because it's going to fulfill the will of God. Peter is not in the same place spiritually. He does not want Jesus to be arrested. He will do anything he can to keep it from happening. In fact, Peter comes into this story, into this chapter, packing. He's got a sword underneath his robe. Peter didn't carry a sword. There's no other record of him walking around carrying a sword, but he got one to carry into this moment. Now, in some ways, it shows great courage, right? 
There are more swords in that arresting party than the single one that Peter had. But he was willing to draw his and potentially be killed to try to protect Jesus. It's courage, misguided, but courage nevertheless. And he reaches out in this misguided courage to defend Jesus, and in so doing, cuts off the ear of a servant, Malchus, who's not even one of the soldiers of the arresting party. Jesus stops Peter, one, because obviously he's not a very good bodyguard, but two, because he's not doing what Jesus needs to have happen. Jesus has to fulfill what's about to occur, and Peter cannot be allowed to stop it. And even more than that, Jesus continuing to be the one. He shows grace in the face of adversity, reaches down, picks up this ear on the ground, puts it back on Malchus's head, and heals him. Quite a, quite a contrast between Jesus and Peter in this moment. They couldn't be further apart in some ways. And after the healing, Jesus allows himself to be taken away. And Peter follows. And as the scripture here talks about, Simon Peter and another disciple, not named, probably John, follow along. And they're able to get close, but not go with Jesus the entire way. And the rest of this chapter is the contrast of two inquisitions. The inquisition of Jesus by the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas, and also Pilate. And the inquisition Peter endures by three people who ask about him, who he was. Now Jesus' inquisitions go with Jesus being the one in charge. He knows what's going to occur. He's unafraid of it. He's willing to take on the questions but he's not going to play the game of those who are asking him the questions. Peter, though, is afraid of the questions. Here, as Bob just read to us, he is asked by one, aren't you one of his disciples? I get this. He's in a courtyard just not that far away from where Jesus has gone into this place. And they only can begin to imagine what's happening to Jesus in this place. But they can imagine that it's not good. And Peter and his other disciples certainly must have been afraid. Notice that they are by themselves. It's not a group of 11. It's not a group of others. It's just Peter and this other disciple. And so they're afraid. And fear motivates Peter to answer real quickly, oh, not me, I'm not one of his disciples, no way. Peter shows in a moment that he is afraid for his life. But the story that we need to remember here is at least Peter was in a place where he could fail. Jesus, or Peter's faith brought him to a place where he was able to be at risk. Now, yes, he failed. Yes, he denied that he knew Jesus. And it's going to happen two more times in the scriptures. He's, in this chapter, he's going to be asked again. And then the third time, he's going to be asked by a relative of Malchus. That is to say, a relative of the guy who got his ear cut off. I mean, this guy would have known, right? He knows. It's not a, he's asking Peter not because he doesn't know. He's calling Peter out. I know you are one of his disciples. And Peter says, no. He's like the, the kid with cookie crumbs on his mouth saying, I didn't get in a cookie jar. 
But he's going to lie, he's going to lie, and he's going to lie again because he's afraid. But no one else had the opportunity to fail because Peter and the other disciple were the only ones who got that far. In this story, we know that Peter is exactly where Jesus said he would be. Now you think about when Jesus says in front of the other disciples, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And of course, everyone around that table would have thought terrible things about Peter if it were true. Now Peter says, that's not going to happen. No way will I allow that to occur. But maybe we can think about Jesus calling Peter out a little differently when we recognize he didn't have to say it to any of the other disciples because he knew none of them were going to be in a position where they could fail. Peter was the one who put himself in a place, faithfully trying to stay close to Jesus, but like you and I, oftentimes not fully understanding what that means, getting to a place where finally fear won out. And he, yes, he denied Jesus. But he was willing at least to put himself in that spot. And maybe one of the lessons out of this failure of Peter is that you and I need to be willing to put ourselves in places where our faith will take us, where we cannot rely on our own abilities, but have to trust in God. And as I was thinking about how to describe that to you, I thought about, remember when you learned how to swim? At some point, you had to be willing to risk getting in the deep end of the pool. That's scary for some of us the first time we did it, and maybe we failed, maybe we went under, maybe someone had to pull us out. It can be scary. But you have to be willing to get into water over your head to really learn how to swim. But you don't need to go out into riptides in the ocean to find out that you can swim. My point is there's that place where you put yourself out there where your fear has to be overcome and success can occur versus the places where no matter how much faith you have, it's too dangerous for you. Peter was at least willing to go in the deep end. He was at least willing to go to the place where he might fail. And yes, he failed. But there's something about having a courage that will take you to the places where you won't always play it safe that allows you to grow in faith. Now it's nuanced and maybe isn't the same for all of us in exactly the same place. But perhaps one of the lessons we can take away from this is that faith should never be an excuse for always playing it safe. There is a danger in the Christian faith that we think we have faith so we can be protected, so nothing bad will happen. So we'll have to have an opportunity to insulate ourselves from all the icky of the world. But faith in Jesus Christ means we need to make ourselves present in the places where that faith has a chance to overcome that which is broken, that which is ugly, and that which is denying what God needs to have happen. And when we have a courageous faith, we will need to accept the fact that in some moments we will fail. We will not always get it right. 
But if we aren't willing to fail in some moments, we will never have the impact in the world that we might otherwise have if we're willing to allow Christ to help pull us out, forgive us as will occur later for Peter. We'll get to that in another time. And for us to live out our faith. Now, in doing that, and having a faith with enough courage to risk, we will at times discover that fear will overwhelm us. That's happened to us all. It's certainly happened to me. To get out there on that edge where you're really beginning to experience things that you know are beyond your own ability, there are things that God's doing and God alone, and it's amazing and it's powerful, and yet there can come a moment where it seems as if the risk is too great and you back off. You fail. That's the point of talking about where Peter's recklessness, cutting off the year of the servant, is an example where we don't want to risk so much. We quit keeping our eye on what Jesus wants. Now, Jesus will always take us further than we want to go, but keeping our eye on Jesus can also keep us from screwing up so bad we thwart what Jesus needs to have occur. And if you think this is easy, I'm not suggesting that it is. But I am suggesting it's mature faith. I am suggesting that's why we have a community around us, why we talk to each other, why we continue to hold each other accountable, and why we support each other when one or the other needs to go out a step or two further and risk what we may not be ready to, but God is calling them to do. What risk are you being asked to take that actually fulfills what Christ needs to have happen in the world? And what are you doing to have the people around you and the faith within you to be able to go and do those things? And how are you protecting yourself? How are you asking for accountability by others who are not going to keep pulling you back, but will make sure you don't go cut off a servant's ear, that you don't go out into a riptide, that you don't get so reckless that you actually start doing opposite of what Jesus needs you to do. These are intentional questions I'm asking you to think about because they are the questions we all need to be asking. As we join together as the body of Christ, we need to be that place not known always playing it safe, but always playing it faithful. And at times we will have to take risks and we will do things that won't seem logical to everyone else, but we know that's where God needs us to be. We've done that over and over again in this ministry with each other. You have done it. I watched you do it as a body of Christ. And there have been a few moments where I've done it as your leader. And yet together, when we're willing to risk and keep our eye on Christ, it's where the most amazing things occur in ministry and that transform the world. I want to ask you this question. Why do you think we know about Peter's failure? Why do you think if Peter's supposed to be one of the great heroes of the early church, and he was, why would we even get his story? Why would they put it in the scriptures? Nadam Hamilton has this interesting idea, and I really like it. He says this, it's because Peter told the story himself. Later on, 
after Jesus was resurrected and Peter's leading the church and Peter's preaching sermons. And we have some of those recorded. You know he preached more sermons than the ones we have recorded. And I bet you he told about the night when he denied Jesus three times. He was not afraid to tell others about his failure because his failure reflected the glory of Christ. His failure would say to folks, it's not about me. Look what I've done. I've screwed up so bad. I denied him three times on the night of his death. And yet Jesus is still working within me and through me. The Apostle Paul did the same thing, as you may know, when he talked about all the failures he did, but it was Christ who redeemed him. We need to be able to be honest about our failures. And it's our story to tell. You don't get to tell others about how I failed. That's character assassination. But we can have the courage to tell of our own failure to others as a witness. And when we do that, we open up the doors of the church. We open up doors to the church to say to the world, no, we don't think we're all that. We aren't the perfect people. We are people who have screwed up and have failed (laughs) just like everyone else. But we have a story to tell. And that story is, is that our failure was not the last word. Recently, I was in a conversation with someone who was talking about why they wanted to come into the church and and what they really loved about this place. And the one thing that she said, which sort of stuck with me was, you know, when I realized I wanted to be able to listen to your sermons, and I said, no, I have no idea. She said, it's when one time in a sermon, you talked about the fact you didn't know everything and that you had screwed up in your life. Well, for me, I don't think that's the biggest thing to say because it's pretty evident to everybody. I don't know everything, and it seems evident to people to think that I've screwed up. So for me to say that seems to be pretty easy, but her point was so many Christians are unwilling to say those things. She wanted to be part of a faith community where people could say that and still lead and still be welcomed and accepted. You and I need to become the kinds of Christians who are comfortable with owning our own failures, And not letting them dictate the whole of our story, but being a part of our story. And giving glory to Christ where we have failed, when we do fail. Because when we do that, we become authentic in our faith. When we do that, we open up the doors where others could come in. Others can be involved in this faith and recognize, I've screwed up my entire life. And yet, this might be a place for me too. Peter denied Jesus three times on this night in this story, but it's not the final story we have about Peter. That'll come in a couple of Sundays. And then there's more after that. Because failure is not the worst thing to happen. Jesus can work with our failures because it's when we put ourselves out there far enough to let Christ be the one we need. May you and I be willing to live a courageous faith not reckless according to our own accord, but with our eyes on Christ. And may you and I today, and in the days to come, not be afraid, so that we can live in the moment, so when someone says to us, are you one of his disciples? We will say yes without fear of the consequences and with expectation for what Jesus will do next. May God be the glory. Amen.
You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.